We're uh, continuing to look at Matthew chapter 6, and um, I I want you to know, even before we get started, it has been such a blessing to my heart uh, to have to uh, study this. I I love study. I love doing that. And you know, every time I go and teach a book, I say, this is the best one I've ever done. But this portion of scripture has just absolutely been a blessing to my heart and, and even my relationship with the Lord, because I love him more. And by the way, the music today just is so appropriate for uh, what we're going to preach today. And so um, just for those who weren't here last week, and I know there are a few, I saw some come in late. I won't say who came in late, but she did make it, by the way. Didn't want to put anybody out there, you know, but she did make it. That's sweet. I love it. <laughs> I love it. God is good. Uh, last week, we were talking about the subject of prayer. We're not going to leave that. We're going to talk about the subject of prayer next week as well. Uh, this week, the subject of prayer, uh, it, when I first was preaching about it, it was obviously the words of Jesus Christ. There were two warnings there. The Lord gave us two warnings. Uh, he wanted to make sure that as he's going to teach on prayer, that you actually know what you should not be doing. Uh, Yes, he wants you to pray. He wants you to pray often. He wants you to pray his name. That's what he wants. He calls you to pray, but no, this is what he doesn't do. He does not want you to be self-focused. He does not want you to be self-righteous. God does not want hypocrites coming before him. And I've heard lots of messages about prayer. You know, I went through seminary and we had prayer class and all of this kind of thing. And and, and sometimes those prayer messages are trying to make believers um, feel less than adequate. I'm not trying to do that either. I'm really, really not, folks. I know what life is like. I know what getting up and noticing that you're already late for work when you get up. I mean, I, I've been there, you know. We've all been there. What I believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is calling us to is more of a life of consistency in prayer. Being consistent in it. Most of the time folks feel guilty because they're not consistent in it. Most of the time they feel inadequate because they're not in it. But, you know, you feel that. Notice what I just said, feelings. But it doesn't go anywhere. You don't do anything about it. Uh, You have to get to that point where you begin to do something about it. So I challenged you last week. I challenged you with thinking about the 71st resolution, you know, uh, uh, in the the way of Jonathan Edwards giving 70 resolutions, and it was the new year kind of thing. And so making that one, that 71st resolution, and that resolution is in the spirit of Jonathan Edwards, but it's Jesus instructing us here to have this kind of resolution. I want to propose to you that you make this in your own heart. That's who you're going to be held accountable by is you and your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. This is one thing in the Christian life that's vital. This is one thing in the Christian life that is vital. Before you do anything else, you want to go witness, you really feel as though you're compelled to go witness, you better be praying about it. Uh, You want to go to worship, you better be praying about going to worship. Anything you do. In the Christian life. I used to tell the Sunday school teachers that came to teach the kids. I said, sit down in the, in the parking lot for about five to ten minutes and pray before you come in. 
Because you need to be used by the Holy Spirit, and the only way to do that is to make sure that you're right with God. So make sure that that becomes part of your life. You want to walk closer with the Lord, and I know some of you really want to have that dynamic, and you really want to have that. I can guarantee it. Start to pray. Start to pray. This is one thing that will generate a closer walk with God. And I can guarantee it. I don't have, I don't have to guarantee anything else. That I can guarantee. God can bring you closer to him as you listen to him, as you talk with him, as you spend time with him. These songs that we just sung, we're talking about our father. We're talking about the one who saved us, took us out of uh, the corruption of this world. Aren't we not to be praying to him? You know, we live in a crazy world these days. I, I, I can admit that. It is crazy, and things are happening in this world that I never would have thought would happen. But the one thing, the one thing that's going to be constant is your intimacy with the Savior. If you're truly a blood-bought Christian, you've been called by him, that's the intimacy that you need to have beyond anything else. Jesus starts the passage and with what not to do. You know, a lot of teachers, when they teach, teach you what not to do. I was teaching the uh, premarital class over the weekend, and, and I started off with, this is what you should not do, okay, as a wife. This is what you should not do as a husband. And then I paused and I said, now you got to really listen. I know you weren't listening before, but now you really need to listen. This is what you ought to do. You want to grow intimate with God? You need to be doing these kinds of things. And one of the things that Jesus warned was the repeating of this prayer over and over and over and over again. As a Roman Catholic, I did do that. And I don't even know what I was saying. I mean, I could say those things, but I didn't know what I was saying. Now that I've studied the passage, I know it in an intimate way because of what God has said here, what Jesus has said here. My purpose Okay, and and if there is a purpose, and this is what I've prayed for, is that we'd all become more consistent in God-oriented prayer that brings us closer to the Creator and the Savior. You know, we talk about the end times and we're coming close. I think the Lord is coming closer and closer. You better be ready to see Him. Your heart has to be ready to see Him. You know, the old DE question was, uh, why should I let you into my home. Why should I let you into my heaven? And some people go, huh? They wonder, what should I say? Well, you better get close to him to know what to say. If uh, you name the name of Jesus Christ, you ought to pray as if you know the name of Jesus Christ. Not only his name's character as well, Let's read the passage, Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 5. I'm going to read it from even last week, just so we have a, 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 a backdrop for all of this. And in Matthew chapter 5, it says, when you pray, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you that they have their reward in full. It's already given to them because everybody likes them. But you, when you pray, go into the inner room, close your door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who is in secret sees what you have done 
and in secret will reward you. Verse 7, when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many, many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. Pray then in this way. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then you have these words in brackets that most of the texts, they're not there, but we're going to say them anyway. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. It fits, but it's not really there necessarily. But verse 14, for if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Obviously, he's setting a pattern here. Setting a pattern of of coming before who? The Father. Coming before God and praying. That's what we should be doing. He gave these instructions. This is what you do when you pray. Years ago, I was listening to a lady giving her testimony. And she was a former Roman Catholic, and, and she said when she was in Roman Catholic, she went to a prayer meeting once. And she said in this prayer meeting, uh, it got kind of weird. It got kind of funny there. And she felt uncomfortable because they started doing gibberish, you know, blah, 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 you know all that kind of stuff, you know, go buy a Honda kind of thing. <laughs> they came to her and they said, well, now it's your turn to do that. It's now your turn. And she said, well, well, wait a minute. This is not even, there's no thought in this. That's probably one of the things that helped to scare her out of the grace uh, out of the church to Grace Community Church. The instruction was for her is just open up your mouth and make sounds. That's not prayer, folks. That's not prayer. That's not using your brain. That's just making sounds. And you know what? A two-year-old does that. It says in Matthew chapter six, verse eight. It says, "So do not be like them." For your father knows what you need, but he wants you to ask. He knows, and he knows before you ask, but he wants you to ask. That's what he wants. Jesus starts first with the negative here. He says, do not be like them. Then Jesus says, for your father knows exactly what you need before you ask. Do you know he already knows before it's on your heart what you should be asking? Wow, that just blows my mind. He he knows that from years ago, that I should be doing that on this date or whatever in the dates to come, that I should be praying in this way. Then Jesus says this, for your father knows what you need. I mean, we have an incredible father. I was a father. Well, I still am a father. (laughs) Still am a father. Even though two guys stole my daughters away from me. They did. They kidnapped them. I I know. I I accuse them every time I see them that they kidnapped them. But, you know, when you're a father, you want to give your kids whatever you can give them. It hasn't stopped. Even now, I want to give them. I keep wanting to give them, you know? However, 
absolutely and categorically, you are not to just blabber to God. Give me, give me, give me. That's not what he is. My children shouldn't come to me and say, give me, give me, give me. That's not what our God wants. That's not what our God wants to hear. He wants you to come, listen to this, in humble humility. In humble humility to come before him. Recognize his majesty and his glory. That's what he wants. He wants you to worship him as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus is here explaining to his listeners there in the side of the mount. When he's doing the sermon on the mount. And he's also saying it to us. He wants a genuine relationship with you. A real relationship with you. Not just one that you sort of give them a pass uh, every once in a while. You know, you pick up your Bible and start to read it and all of that kind of stuff. Maybe you make a New Year's resolution to read your Bible for the year. and You, you get to uh, through um, Genesis, Exodus, and then Leviticus, you give up because you've been sacrificed. <laughs> you know, you just can't get past that Leviticus thing. But no, he, he wants you for the whole year. He wants you to come before him. Thank you. As you pray, you need to sincerely pray. You do not change the mind of God. I want you to know that. You do not change the mind of God. In the scriptures, we see that once in a while where, you know, Gideon prays, it seems like he changed. No, he didn't change the mind of God. What actually happens is that you begin to have your mind and your heart changed. You may be a petitioner, but he changes your heart and he changes your mind as to what you actually need. We think we need this. And he says, no, you need something else. In true prayer, we see the purposes of God. We do. You begin to realize the purposes of God because you've grown intimate with him. him. We begin to see that his will is to be done in our lives. His will. And you know what, folks? Sometimes it's not happy. Sometimes it's not beautiful in your life. Sometimes it's tragic. Sometimes that, that husband or that wife that you've been praying for dies. That happens. Sometimes that little child dies. Sometimes they get hurt. Sometimes they don't come to Christ. But he knows that's exactly what you need. You need why? How, how can you come to that? I had somebody with some tragedy, and I, and I said, this is where you need to go. 2 Corinthians 1, he does it too because he wants you to grow in your prayer and respect and honor of him. And then you, as somebody who's been afflicted with this particular tragedy, can then help others. That's what you're supposed to do. True prayer is finding out the purposes of God so that his will is done in your life. Recently, I've heard some folks complain, and I'm serious, I've heard some folks complain that God isn't giving them what they want. I almost got sick. What? You're, you're that selfish? I, that's what I see it as. I think it's a monumental selfishness. We should build a monument to them of selfishness. Oh, but we have all of those already done, yeah. In prayer, you do not storm the throne room of God, demanding your way. That's not what you do. You enter by grace. You enter because you have a relationship with him. You enter by grace. Then you can expound your heart's desires. 
leaving it there before the Lord and letting him do whatever he wants. I, I explained to somebody even in the premarital yesterday, I said, hold your hand open all the time. Don't demand. The moment you start demanding, you're never going to get it. But hold your hand open. Maybe he'll give it. Maybe he'll bless. Maybe not. But he's going to give you exactly what you need. God causes all things to be good to those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Because he's conforming you into the image of God. I Please, bring it on. That's what, that's what we need. As a matter of fact, prayer is the opportunity for God to change your heart to his desires. That's what prayer is. One uh, commentator said it this way, prayer is not conquering God's reluctance to answer, but holding, laying hold of his willingness to help. Prayer in the life of the true believer is an act of total confidence, total assurance in the plan and the purpose of God. Folks, think about it. You don't deserve to be saved, but he did it. I mean, some of you were in such darkness, you couldn't see any light. Some of you had light. But that's what God did. So who are we to come to his room and say, give me, give me, give me? In the passage that we're looking at today, Jesus is going to lay out six petitions. Six petitions that we should should be evidenced in our prayer life. And I think that's why he's doing this. The first three petitions have to do with God and, and his glory. It's about his glory. The, se- the second three petitions have to do with our needs and our necessities. Often this is called the Lord's Prayer, but in actuality, this is really the disciples' prayer. It's been composed to teach disciples how to pray. I meet more and more people who do not do know nothing about God. Years ago, we had some um, young person who was standing in our driveway looking at some animals that we had in our garage and all of that kind of thing, and, and she was going, oh, God. Oh, God. And, and so my wife just said, so do you know who that is? Who? God. No, I don't. It was just an exclamation for her. And that's the way it is in our society. It's an exclamation for some people. They don't know who he is. So we see in, in, in verse 9 there, pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven. I got to tell you, I get stuck on that. That is such a precious, precious prayer. Our Father, I can claim him as my Abba, my Daddy, my Father. That's intimate, folks. I got to tell you, that's engaging. Some of you had rotten fathers. But here is not a rotten father. Here is a good father. It's a priceless privilege to be able to call God our Father. Let me take you to John chapter 1. I want to just point out a couple of these very precious scriptures. John chapter 1, verse 12, where again we hear about this Father. And it says in John chapter 1, verse 12, but as many as received him, To them he gave the right to become children of God. That's what you've become. Now that he's your father, you've become a child of God. Even to those who believe in his name. You're his children. I hope you think about that long. 
about children, being his child. Now let's look at Romans chapter 8. This gives it a little bit more instruction on this, a little bit more information on this, becoming his child. In Romans chapter 8, verse 14, Paul says this, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And and folks, please, I, I want you to know that means all of us, sons and daughters, okay? Sons and daughters of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons who cry out, Abba, Father. I mean, that is close, folks. That is, that is intimate with this Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And folks, we should act like children of God. One thing when raising my own children, I wanted them to be able to say, you know, we're the Shannon family and we do this. We don't act like that other uh, the other thing, but not say it in words necessarily, but do it in their life by, by being real and by being honest and by being open. Verse 17, and of children, heirs also, heirs of God and heir, fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with, notice that, even though your children, it says here, we will suffer with him so that we also may be glorified. With him. The sufferings of this world are there, folks. You're going to feel them. There's going to be pain. There's going to be um, tragedy. There's going to be all kinds of things. Now, before we get to the petitions, I still haven't gotten there yet. I will get there. Our Father. (coughs) Our Father. Not just Jesus' Father, but our Father as well. I want you to know I cling to this glorious fact. God, Yahweh, is my father as well. He's your father as well. That's a glorious truth. You once listened to this, folks. were a child of Satan. You once were a child of the world. You once were a child of wrath. You once were an enemy of God. And yet now, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, you're his child and been adopted by him. Jesus, while present on this earth, made it clear. He said this in John 17, 6. You don't need to look there. By the way, that's the actual uh, Lord's Prayer, but we'll get to that another time. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of this world. I have manifested your name. I have shown the people of this world your name by how they've seen me. And it wasn't Jesus, but it was his person. This undeserving sinner, and I'm talking about us, have been adopted into his family. You've been taken by this saving God and brought to his table to have a banquet with him. And that's what we see in Revelation. We see that banquet that's going to happen. See, as a father, and I brought it up a little bit before, I, I take that relationship very seriously. I love my children just as God loves his children. Watching uh, my kids grow, grow up here at Grace Community Church, become adults, grow into the things of God, be kidnapped by these other men and, and taken into marriage. It brought great joy to my heart. 
It was exuberant to my heart. Think about this. Your heavenly father is watching you. And as you cling to the things of God, as you enjoy the things of God, as you enjoy him, he becomes overjoyed. He becomes overjoyed. Not just at at having called you to salvation, but seeing what's happening in your life. Fulfilling his desires for you. Some of you just say, but I'm a sovereigntist. I don't have to worry about that. It's like one of those seminar graduates was going off to Africa. And I said, are you ready to eat the little bugs on the, on the, and he said, no, I'm a sovereigntist. <laughs> and okay, we'll have a discussion about that. But uh, you, you need to be ready for what God calls you to do. Our father, this reminds us of something. It says here, our father who art in heaven or who is in heaven. I said it the way the, you said it as a Roman Catholic, who is in heaven. Some of those things just don't go away. This reminds us of something. He's separate from us. We have no idea what heaven's like. You, you can contemplate it, you can think about it, but you don't really know what heaven is like. Ecclesiastes 5.2, you don't need to look there, but Ecclesiastes 5.2 reminds us as well, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. They are diametrically different, folks. Diametrically different. We are uniquely his, but at the same time, we are truly unremarkable. We are unremarkable. Our God loves us. He loves us incredibly. He wants a relationship with us. Our Father calls us to that. But something that this reminds me of, and just before we even get to that first petition, I I just want to you to hear this. This reminds me of the distinction between the glory of God in heaven and our condition on earth. Do you notice that there's still sin here? Do you notice there's still corruption here? Do you notice today in Canada, there'll be some pastors that will be preaching and they will preach things that will probably put them in jail, but they are united in preaching that same message because that's what needs to go out. And I would venture to say that's not too far behind for the United States. And we preach that prayer and we go to jail. That's okay. I know what will happen. John MacArthur's already told me. We'll have a better jail ministry. (laughs) Gotta look at it that way. You preach those things because the society needs to hear it. Here's petition number one. Sorry it's taken so long to get there. We'll, we'll, We'll get through this. Hallowed be your name. And friends, we could stop right there. The rest of our time could be on the various names of God. My grandkids sent me this big poster once with all the names, well, not all of them, but some of the names of God on there. And as I was doing my message in my my, uh, home office, I'm looking at this thing and I'm seeing all of these names and I'm going, wow. We we could spend the rest of our time just talking about them, but I'm just going to, Speak about a few of them here. We have Elohim. He's the creator God. El Elyon. He is the most high God. You have Jehovah. Jehovah, which means I am who I am. Adonai means the Lord. And, and again, on and on and on. Psalm 910 says, As those who know the name of, know your name, will put their trust in you. You need to know the name of God. You say, but it it says it in the Bible. It says Yahweh. It says God. It says Lord. 
No, you need to know the name of God because there's a special name sometimes for those particular situations. Psalm 20, verse 7 says this, Some will boast in chariots and some in horses, you know, the Mustangs. But we will boast in the name of Yahweh our God. We will boast in the name of Yahweh our God. Friends, that is why the taking of the Lord's name is so serious. It is so corrupt to take his name in vain. It disparages his name. It defames his name. And you know what? Some people don't even know that they are taking the name of God because they have no God. Their God is their flesh. Their God is their desires. Listen to what ultimately is going to happen with the name of our God, Ezekiel, chapter 36. Ezekiel 36, verse 23. And God is saying this, and he says in Ezekiel 36, 23, I will vindicate the holiness of my great name which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst, then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares Yahweh, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. That's going to happen. I see this as a, as a prophecy of what's going to happen in the future. He's going to let them see he is holy. When you pray, you need to pray that God's name will be holy, revered. Because of its magnificence, it, it's incredible name. Hallowed means to have reverence, to have awe of the holiness that's represented in that name. Jewish people, some Jewish people today, those who are still doing temple, and there's all kinds of Jewish people, just to, to let you know, all kinds of, of sex and all that kind of thing but they still don't speak his name because it is unspeakable. They see it so sacred. To how a God's name is to recognize his holiness, his purity, his uniqueness, his excellence. There's an intimacy that believers have with the Father. It does not lessen the reverence that you have. It does not let re- uh, uh, lessen the worship of the Father. As believers, folks, you need to hear this. We have the absolute duty. We have the absolute responsibility to bring forth the glory of God. That's what we're supposed to be here. That brings great enjoyment to our Father. That brings great enjoyment to Him. Listen to Jesus speak about His Father, again in what I call the Lord's Prayer in John chapter 17. John 17, right at the end there is He's finishing up his prayer. And he says in verses 25 and 26, he says, O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known you that you sent me. He's talking about his disciples there, basically, in a sense, speaking of us in the future. In verse 26, and I have made your name known to them. Oh, wait a minute, these are Jewish people. They knew the name mentally. They knew the name mentally. 
Now they know the name in their heart. That's the difference. That's the difference. They know him intimately now, not just by name. You know, it's like I, I know Joe Biden. I know George Bush. I know Donald Trump by name, but I don't know them intimately. He's saying, I have left your name with them. And he goes on and, and will make it known so that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. Know the name of God. Know the name of God. Love him deeply. Throughout the Old Testament, God's people are encouraged over and over again. They're even commanded to remember all that God has done. And I think that's, that's where they, they, they recognize the uh, uh, opportunity to continue to tell others. You know, the, they have this battle going on in, uh, when they're trying to conquer Canaan, and some of the forces go across, and they put these stones together. Why did they put the stones there? I mean, they're just stones. So they could take their children to those stones and say why they laid the stones there, because of what God had done. This is what God did. We didn't deserve it. Sit back and contemplate the providences of God in your life. I mean, how did he get you to a church? How did he get you to hear a message? How did he get some guy to come along and give you the gospel? All of that is good. Psalm 34, 3 says, Oh, magnify Yahweh with me and let us exalt his name together. That's why I love the music this morning and the words. It's powerful, powerful. Pastor MacArthur says this. This is not because I need um, employment. Uh, confidence or anything, surety, but uh, I, I, love, I love reading what he has to say. It is so good, but I have to be very temperate in using what he has to say because everybody's heard it. Hallowed name is to attribute to God the holiness that is already his. There always has been supremely and uniquely his. To hallow God's name is to revere, honor, glorify, and obey him as singularly perfect. Singularly perfect. Some of you may think you're perfect because you're a rocket scientist or because you're, you know, whatever else. But um, no, he's singularly perfect. Petition number two. We see that in... Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. Your kingdom come. I say this more and more and more and more and more and more and more. Your kingdom come. When you speak these words, you're acknowledging the eternal plan of God. That's what his plan is. He's coming, folks. I, I, I want you to know that. And he's coming, I believe, sooner, obviously, than he was last week. But I believe it's soon. I believe it. So now that doesn't mean you give up your education and you don't become a pastor, you don't go to seminary, you don't you know, pass the second grade. You still take all of those opportunities. It says here, when you're asking your kingdom come, <clears throat> you're asking God to fulfill his kingdom plan. His kingdom plan is that Jesus comes again, the second coming. I, I, that, it's going to be a glorious day. In some sense, though, the kingdom's already here. I remember hearing this in my first theology class and having come out, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm learning. I mean, I'm just digging into this stuff for the first time and, and hearing this, the kingdom's here, but it's not here. How, how can that be? 
And that's the way it is, folks. When Jesus came the first time, he brought the kingdom, in a sense. And you're in it already. As a believer, you're already participating in it. It's not the completed kingdom. It's it's not that that earthly kingdom that God is going to recreate in all of that. But Matthew 4.17 says this, From that time Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. The whole thing is about to happen. And it's gone on for 2,000 years, but you know what, folks? That's just a smidgen of a time in God's eyes. Yes, the kingdom of God is already here, but at the same time, it is yet to come. We see in Luke 17, 21, you don't need to turn there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. It's here, but it's not completely here. I don't know, we, when uh, we couldn't meet uh, at church beginning of COVID, I, I felt such absence, I got to tell you. You know, you're sitting at home, you have a cup of coffee, and you're listening to John MacArthur preach on the, on the computer. It just was not very fulfilling, folks. There, there was an absence of just hearing that and, and not being with you. I want to be with you. I hope you want to be with everybody else here because we are going to be spending eternity together. I mean, did you ever think about that? Eternity is a pretty long time. We better, better like that intimacy. It means that you need to be praying for Jesus to come, for his kingdom to come. He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords. You are living an exemplary life that broadcasts the Savior's work. That's what you should be doing. You should be attracting others to the kingdom of God. At this point, the kingdom of God for us here is not what is going on in heaven. Romans 14, 17 says this, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. There's a quality of relationship that goes beyond, yes, we can have eating and drinking and eating and all of that kind of stuff together. We had a wedding Friday night, and that, that was just an absolutely wonderful time together as believers to rejoice in what's going on. But our intimacy is about righteousness. Our intimacy is about peace. Our intimacy is about joy that we have together as a body of Christ. Jesus preached the kingdom. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. There is, this can sound passive to some degree. However, for the believer, that's a call to God to actively pursue things for God. That's what it's called to. It's called to you to pursue the things of God and to make it happen as soon as it possibly can. Does God have a number of people that he wants saved? Yes. Because at the uh, beginning, when he and his, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit put the plan together, they knew exactly who they were going to save. So we just need to go out there and find who they are. I, I suggest, with this idea of seeing the kingdom come, you live a worthy, in a worthy manner. We see Paul calling for that. He's, he said that in Colossians 3.2. Set your mind on the things above, <laughs> heaven, and not on the things of this earth. This stuff down here doesn't mean anything. How much you have, how much you don't have. What people think about you, it doesn't matter. What matters is what he thinks about you. Folks, the world is a wasteland of sin. 
That's the way I see it. I'm sorry. It's a wasteland of sin and rebellion. Colossians 3.3, the the next verse says this, For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Has my life died here? The things that that I pursued, I can tell you folks, they most certainly did. 39 years ago in Montreal, Canada, it died. Whatever that was that I was pursuing was done, was over. But you know what? What I got for it was a whole lot more than I already had. Friends, we ought to eagerly look for the consummation of the kingdom. Eagerly look. Let me take you, I think I have a little bit of time here. 1 Corinthians. I always mark things off to see if I have enough time. And I'd like to take you to 1 Corinthians 15. Because this is talking about the consummation of the world. This is talking about the end. And we need to know that the end is there. We need to know what God has to say about it. And here it is in 1 Corinthians 15, 24. 15, 24. Then the end comes. <laughs> I mean, I'm just telling you. When he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, when he has abolished all rule and authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Uh, folks, I, I, just in case, just in case we do have somebody here who is still an enemy of God, you're going to lose. If you still are not walking with him, you're going to lose. You may think, oh, I can get away with it for a few more years. No, do it now. Come to him. He is worthy. Where was I? Okay, verse 25. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. For he has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says all things are put in subjection, it is evident that he is accepted for uh, who puts all things in subjection to him. Folks, our God is going to win. And I don't know about you, but that to me is a glorious truth. That I know what's going to happen in the end. I know some of you are probably going to watch football this afternoon. Football next week. I don't even know. Are they playoffs on? I have no clue. Somebody's going to win and somebody's going to lose. You have no idea. But I do know about this. And so our will, we go back to Matthew chapter 6, our will must align with that of the Father. We too need to look forward to Jesus' return. Come, Lord Jesus. That's what we should be begging. Come, Lord Jesus. So when you say your kingdom come, you're saying, I want Jesus to return. I want him to take over. I want him to come the second time. And all of the last elements of the, the coming of that age happens. How about you? I want it. And I want it as soon as possible. As soon as possible. Even though I don't know if all my grandchildren are saved yet. Because they're still children. Who knows? I trust God completely, thoroughly. So I ask the question, are you acknowledging that God must be in control? Not your personal will, the things that you want, the things that you think you need to have. As a believer, you cannot and should not be living this life as if you deserve something. 
You really shouldn't. Some people think I deserve peace. No. God may bring all of that difficulty for his purposes. Petition number three, just to make sure we can get through this. Petition number three, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, then your will be done. The question comes, does this mean God's moral will or his revealed will? And this is just going to be a little bit of theology here. Sorry, folks. doesn't mean God's moral will or his revealed will. God's moral will is his holiness of his people. That's his moral will for his people. That's why the scriptures are here. These are to teach us those things. That's to be used for the conversion of the world, all of those kinds of things. Therefore, when you pray this prayer, it's a frightening prayer. Your will be done. That means do whatever you need to do to stop that person from sinning if they're part of your kingdom. That's what God does. This indicates that he wants you to be holy. 1 Peter 1.16, you be holy, for I am holy. And so we need to be about the business of correcting sin in our life. That's absolutely necessary. We can't just kick the, the bucket down the street and say, ah, tomorrow, ah, tomorrow. No, we need to be taking care of it today. As Jesus started, he said, imploring your name, our Father, your will be done. That's what he says there in this prayer. That means specifically that you must come under the control of God's will. That means that you must conform your life to, and actions in accord with him and his will. If there are roadblocks to conformity to God, then he is going to tear them down. And, and I got to tell you, I, I used to tell my children, if you are truly a child of God, then if you're doing something wrong, I'm going to find it out. I never looked for it. Guess what? I found it. I found it. Why? Because God doesn't want them to continue to do those things. And if you're in the midst of sin, and it's a corrupting sin, God's going to reveal it. I'm in my office, and, and I have more counseling than I know what to do with. Because God keeps revealing it. And, and then they're trying to take care of it. And that's good. That's good. Let God work in your life. Let God reveal that, that you're not exactly where he wants you. And you need to come before him and, and, and confess your sin. You need to repent of what you're doing. Now, God's revealed will, and we'll go back to that, is what actually happens upon the earth, what he's showing. God ultimately is bringing to, to, to the present world the end. And, and folks, it's not going to be by global warming. I mean, that is ridiculous. <clears throat> when Jesus returns in his second coming, God's plan will be brought to fruition. It's going to bring... That final kingdom will have no more sin. And I think of anything, the reason I so much want to be in heaven, so much want to be, see him come, is that my sin ends. That, that to me, and I, I'm, I'd be very, very honest, folks, that's what it is. I don't like it. I hate it. 
Yes, doing something about it, yes, but that's what it needs to be. That's what needs to be. That's what needs to be. your life needs to be. Making it come to an end. You see, God's will in heaven is totally and absolutely pure. There's no sin in heaven. It's just here on earth. The prayer is asking for the holiness of heaven to come to earth. Yes, it's here in some small quantity, believers, especially mature believers. Uh, I I think sometimes with uh, immature believers, it may not be there, but, but mature believers should have that. They should know the will of God. They should be living the will of God. They should be living the purposes of God. That's what should be happening. Obedience should be in their life, and they should be Uh, seeking the word of God. But let me give you some warnings. Turn to Matthew chapter 7. It should be maybe a page over. Matthew 7, verse 21. Speaking of the will of God, and this is what Jesus is saying here, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. We talked about the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Oh, you better know the will of God. I don't know if you're, you, get, you get scared by this, but you better know the will of God. Because it's only those who know the will of God. But that's what you're supposed to be, is completely sinless. Matthew 12, 50, Jesus says it again. Matthew chapter 12, verse 50, he says, There, for whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven... He is my brother, and he is my sister, and he is my mother. He's just telling them we're his brothers, sisters. We're going to be with him. So please, folks, as you pray, even this week, pray the Lord's Prayer. But remember the implications of praying the Lord's Prayer. Remember the implications. First, you are praying for overwhelming obedience. Whoa. You're praying for overwhelming obedience. And second, you are looking to God to do what he needs to make it happen. That means my sin that I've been doing in private is going to be revealed. Yeah. Yeah. Let him deal with it. Let him deal with it. When we say something like your kingdom come, when we pray that prayer, in essence, okay, We're asking for the fulfillment of the Beatitudes, which we did months ago. And I just want to remind you of some of those Beatitudes that we did months ago. But we're actually asking for those Beatitudes to be fulfilled. In in, um, Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Remember, they're, they're knowing their sin. They understand their sin. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When you know your sin, you're dealing with your sin, and you're honest about your sin then God can see you in heaven. You see in Matthew 5, 5, it says, Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Matthew 5, 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Face to face. And in a sense, folks, in a sense. And Matthew 5, 10, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those beatitudes become real. Your kingdom come. The world system is truly ungodly in all its ways, folks. 
truly ungodly. The prayer of God's people here as we pray this prayer is not so much to change the world. We want to change us first. We want to change us. We're actually, in a sense, and I like to put it in this terms, <clears throat> putting a finger in the dike of destruction. Because it is getting worse and worse and worse. This world is horrible. See your God in the small things of your life first. Make sure that you see God acting in your life each and every day. How much grace he gives you each and every day. So we've had three petitions here. And we see that in Matthew 6. First petition is, hallowed be your name. We want to make sure that his name is made holy. The second is that his kingdom come. We want to see that. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. And then the last one is, your will be done. And for us, that's the most scary because he's going to change your lives. He's going to continue to exit things out of your character that are there and present. And well, he should because you want to become more like Jesus, conformed into his image. Next week, we're going to pray on the, we're going to look at the, the prayer here with what God talks about for us. Give us this day our daily bread. Lord God, I want to pray for my pastor first. Uh, he has a very special message to give us today. And I know, Lord God, he needs your strength and he needs your remembrance of all that he has studied because I know he's put a lot of time and effort into this. Lord God, we are in a interesting time in our history, interesting time in our world. And Lord, yes, I will pray that you come and I pray even this, this afternoon, Lord, that you would return, that this world would be turned upside down because of it. And that Lord, even in the seven years of tribulation, Others would come to know you. Lord God, I pray that everybody here knows you, loves you, serves you, and is honest with you. We pray this in your name. Amen.